Come on. Don't bullshit me. Don't bullshit you. You don't bullshit me. Come on, man. What are you talking about? You're the one with the memory issues. And welcome to the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and this episode, it's just going to be me and you, dear listener, just going to be me and you. Uh, I wanted to talk about a memory film. I was trying to figure out which movie I wanted to do for this episode uh, as a solo episode, and you know, I'm going to go back to my roots here. I'm not a memory researcher by any stretch of the imagination, but it is the next closest topic that I've you know, researched and I teach and all of that. So I wanted to go back to the well. Of course, the first episode of this entire show was about Memento. We revisited it later. Um, fascinating movie. Probably my most favorite movie of all time. Uh, it's that good. If you haven't seen Memento, definitely take a look at that. But that's not the film we're doing today. I don't want to talk about Memento anymore because that's not the, the film that we are doing. We are going to explore Total Recall. That Total Recall, not the remake. The 1990 version with Arnold Schwarzenegger and the amazing practical effects of Paul Verhoeven. Now, we haven't seen a lot of Paul Verhoeven uh, recently. I mean, he really existed in a time in memoriam in the 80s and 90s where you just made really weird action movies, sci-fi or otherwise. I mean, just consider the the movies that even Arnold Schwarzenegger was in, not even just Paul Verhoeven movies, but just movies that, Arnie was in uh, were just random and weird and 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 honestly the practical effects are uh, just a world unto themselves in this in this movie um, some of my most favorite practical effects in any film I mean bar what they did in Jurassic what you know what Steven Spielberg and um, Stan Winston did in Jurassic Park I mean these effects are so fun Perhaps um, my most favorite effect in this movie, and if you haven't seen it, well, I don't know what you're doing. Don't watch the Colin Farrell one. Poor remake. Poor, poor remake. You watch the 1990 version with Arnie here. With Anul. Yeah, as you do, you watch the movie. Ah, don't bullshit me. You know, that's, that's, that's my Arnold. I might do more of it as we go on. But... <clears throat> Perhaps one of my most favorite effects, and then the second effect, I mean, I'm not going to talk about the effects. This is not the kind of show that is, go find your, go find an effects show. Um, but one of my most favorite effects is um, the <laughs> faces that everyone makes when they are out on the Mars uh, surface and um, they're starting to lose their uh, sort of pressure in their bodies, and so their faces start popping out, their eyes are bulging, and um, they're kind of just gasping <laughs> for air in that way, and, and, and just Arnold, <laughs> that, uh, that sound effect will always, will always, Stay with me uh, from the first moment I watch this movie to every single time it comes up again and again and again. I'm so I'm glad I made the decision to watch this movie. My second favorite effect is the um, disguise that um, robot disguise that Arnold wears to try to get from Earth to Mars and um, the face starts malfunctioning and then it like goes from an actress to this actress's face as it separates and reveals Arnold behind it. I just think it's, uh, I just think it's, I think it's amazing. 
A um, couple of other people that are in this movie that have great roles. Sharon Stone plays a good two-faced liar. Uh, we've got uh, Michael Ironside, who's so good as the bad guy. I just love his gruff voice. Like, he's not hes not evil in a way. He's more just like, I'm following orders, I suppose. A couple of other random actors. Uh, uh, you can go to IMDb and look at all these random actors. Uh, that It's mostly an Arnold vehicle, and that's how it was made. It was made to showcase Arnold uh, being a secret spy, so to speak, I guess. Um, I don't know. You have to find out if he's actually a spy. So a brief recap of the plot and the story. Now, spoiler alerts, of course, uh, if you haven't seen this. But um, again, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a guy named Doug Quaid, who's married to a woman, but has these weird dreams every night about being on Mars. And every time he dies in this dream, usually by his gas mask breaking and uh, him uh, asphyxiating, um, he wakes up and, uh, well, it turns out that uh, he may not be a guy named Doug Quaid. And so he's given the opportunity to go to, because he's playing this uh, straight and narrow kind of guy works at a construction site using a jackhammer to break up concrete. Um, so he goes to this uh, cool uh, memory vacation organization called Recall. Uh, that is with a K. Recall with a K. Now you know we're in in, in talking about memory here. Um, so he goes to the place called Recall, and this company get, implants memories for a small fee. And you can have little extra add-ons here and there. Would you like to ski Antarctica? If you're snowed under with work? Do you dream of a vacation at the bottom of the ocean? But you can't float the bill? Have you always wanted to climb the mountains of Mars? But now you're over the hill? Then come to Recall Incorporated, where you can buy the memory of your ideal vacation cheaper, safer, and better than the real thing. So don't let life pass you by. Call Recall for the memory of a lifetime. And um, he asked to go to Mars, and he asked to get the secret agent add-on. Some of our options. No options. <laughs> Whatever you say. Could I ask you just one question, though? What is it that is exactly the same about every single vacation you have ever taken? I give up. You. You're the same. No matter where you go, there you are. It's always the same old you. Let me suggest that you take a vacation from yourself. And I know, it sounds wild. It is the latest thing in travel. We call it the ego trip. No, I'm not interested in that. You're going to love this, Doug. We offer you a choice of alternate identities during your trip. I mean, face it, why go to Mars as a tourist when you can go as a playboy or a famous jock or... Secret agent. How much is that? Ah, let me tantalize you. You are a top operative back under deep cover on your most important mission. People are trying to kill you left and right. You meet this beautiful exotic woman come on i don't want to spoil it for you doug but you rest assured by the time the trip is over you get the girl kill the bad guys and save the entire planet now you tell me isn't that worth a measly 300 credits so he goes in but little does everyone know that he actually is a secret agent or is he and in that way he sets off the whole series of events of having to get to Mars to figure out what his life was before he seemingly went under these this implanted memory uh, procedure and was told that he was Doug Quaid, even though he is the secret agent um, for this 
uh, sort of shadowy group called the Agency, uh, a guy named Hauser. Um, and so he gets to Mars. He's all the while trying to evade Michael Ironside's character as the security chief, um, using any means necessary to you know, get him to get him down. Uh, a lot of antics ex- ensue for yeah, a good a good while. I think a good hour of like a sort of a cat and mouse chase game, and then you finally get to know more about why he needs to go to Mars and and what the whole reason was that he needed to um, go under this uh, uh, memory implantation to be this Doug Quaid, this every Joe Schmo kind of guy. And makes it to Mars, and he finds out this uh, group of mutants and rebels are trying to destroy the generator that Cohagen the main villain of the story is keeping under wraps, right? Cause on Mars, you have to be able to be in this dome and breathe air. And he can, uh, this Cohagen guy can control the airflow. And so it, it, you know, keeps the population of Mars subjugated to his whims. And the idea was you got, you actually got to blow up the generator. So, all of the oxygen um, in this ancient, uh, stored in this like ancient alien architecture would uh, essentially evaporate. I don't, honestly, the, the science, the, the chemistry and the, and the atmospheric science is probably super, super wrong. Not an atmospheric scientist, I couldn't tell you. But um, all of this oxygen is enough in this ancient alien thing to... Um, essentially provide the entire surface of Mars a breathable atmosphere. So that's the that's that's the plot. It's an Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie. Here's the thing: he succeeds, and um, just before his death of due to asphyxiation, um, he's finally able to breathe oxygen again. And he's like, <gasps> amazing. So let's take a dive and let's travel to Mars and talk about the memory concepts in this movie. It's your first trip? Mm-hmm. Well, don't worry. Things hardly ever f*** up around here. Good evening, Doug. I'm Dr. Lull. Nice to meet you. Ernie Patchin, Matrix 62B, 37. And uh, would you like us to integrate some alien stuff? Sure, why not? Two-headed monsters? Don't you keep up with the news? We're doing alien artifacts now. It's wild. Yeah, they date back a million years. Ernie? That's a new one. Blue sky on Mars. Been married long? Eight years. Away for a little hanky panky. But really, I was always All fascinated by Mars. Then we're set. Ready for Dreamland? Oh. I'll be asking you some questions, Doug, so we can fine tune the ego program. If you answer honestly, you'll enjoy yourself a whole lot more. Your sexual orientation. Hedro. Hmm. So, how do you like your women? Blonde? Brunette? Redhead? Brunette. Slim. Athletic. Voluptuous. Athletic. Demure. Aggressive. Sleazy. Be honest. Sleazy. Forty-one A, Ernie. Oh boy, is he gonna have a wild time? <laughs> He's not gonna want to come back. That's for sure. Okay, so as I said, um, I wanted to do a movie that goes back to my cognitive science, cognitive psychology roots, essentially. Um, either considering that to be memory or considering that to be bias or anything like that. 
I know we did AI in the last episode, and this is sort of like a back-to-back cognitive two-one-two punch. But we haven't done a memory episode in a while, and I thought this would be interesting. And it's very clear-cut. It's also uh, related to what I've done recently for my Wondrium course. Now, if you're not familiar with, uh, or you're not, you don't follow me on Twitter, or um, uh, you're not a Facebook friend or anything like that, you probably don't know that soon, probably within the next few months, hopefully by the Christmas season, my Wondrium course will be out. And that course is phenomenal because it's all about cognitive biases. So if you are interested in cognitive biases, then I definitely recommend um, looking into that. One of the episodes that I created, so this was uh, these are about 25 to 30 minute uh, uh, long video lectures on uh, a little more. So there's 24 lectures, but I incorporate probably around 30 to 32 biases and I combine a few of them into a single episode. So in one, one episode, I talk about um, one set of memory biases that are are very close together, which is, um, you know, errors due to um, the source uh, of the information. So memory for the source or where the memory came from. And so there is a fun word out there to describe these source monitoring errors when you think it's your idea. That's called cryptonesia. Um, But what I really really want to talk about is false memories. False memories are a, a tale as old as memories themselves as far as psychology is concerned. So within the history of memory research within psychology, false memories have always been discussed alongside Now, false memories as sort of like an idea, uh, I would say, first got their play uh, from the Freuds, both Anna and Sigmund, Anna being Sigmund's daughter, when they were talking about the ideas and concepts around what they call repressed memories. Now, repressed memories are are really difficult to pin down. Like, how how do you even describe what a repressed memory is, let alone the mechanism for repressing those memories, right? So those two systems would have to work, right? They have to in a single in a single mind or a single brain. Like you would have to have a system for memories being held without your knowledge, right? Those memories are not um, apparently consciously available to you. And then the other mechanism would be like what memories get repressed and what memories don't. And, and of course, f- for the Freuds, it was tr- traumatic memories get repressed, not, you know, really happy memories and all of this. If it's only trauma and that trauma then, of course, manifested in later in later in life um, as these like subconscious driving forces uh, that, um, you know, indicate and dictate how people are behaving um, and that they can't consciously access them, but in but they are directly or indirectly responsible for a given set of maladaptive behaviors. Now, uh, recent research really blows the idea of repressed memories out of the water. And in the movie, we're not actually talking about repressed memories in the same sense that the Freuds discussed, right? So current research indicates that we actually remember the traumatic things that happened to us. Um, we may not remember time, place, and um, the the specifics of, of the events, but when we come down to it, we end up recognizing when something traumatic or tragic has happened to us. Um, and typically those negative, those negative feelings associated with the memory are easily conjurable, whether we like it or not. So that's what the current research suggests about um, repressed memories or the idea of repression. It's just like, no, it's, it's, we don't get to hide trauma away. Unfortunately, a trauma, trauma is front and center. Now, in the movie, we're still dealing with memory implantation. And this is an idea uh, that 
is really a fun one. Can can somebody implant an idea into your brain that you are not aware of? Of course, Inception, um, if you want to go back to an early episode from 2019 where Jason Spiegelman and I talk about Inception and this idea of implanting an, a dream into someone, um, you kind of get along, uh, along the same lines of what happens to uh, Quaid in this movie. Uh, it, it is these memories that are not his, but are implanted into him. And, of course, Recall as a company does this for randos across Earth, right? If you can't get a vacation, come here to to explore Mars and have all of the sensations associated with exploring Mars when you really don't have to go to Mars. I mean, that's really cool. So this idea of implantation is where I want to take this discussion. Okay, so false memories are a a bias toward memories that we think we have or I'll say information that we think we have uh that and that we experienced truly in the past but really aren't something that we experienced at all. And so this idea of false memory implantation uh, exists in the literature as what is called the DRM method. The DRM method. So, this DRM method stands for Deese, Rodiger, and McDermott. So, back in the 1950s, James Deese, I believe it's James Deese, uh, wrote a uh, wrote a, a fun little um, research methodology where he would show people lists of words to remember, and then um, he would give them recognition tests. So he would say that old words um, and new words are going to appear on this list. You tell me which one's old, which one's new. And um, uh, Henry Rodiger and, uh, and Kathleen McDermott updated it in the 1990s to really capture this idea of a word that is related to... Uh, words that you learn in the learning phase, but are completely new words. So um, one example that I give in my classes is I give them 10 words. I'm going to give you these 10 words, um, and you can sort of play along if you'd like. Um, these are the words that I use. Waves, sand, surf, frisbee, sun, bikini, towel, ocean, boat, and tan. And so when... <laughs> When I give this demo to my classes, I then engage in some, you know, short-term memory distractions, and I tell them, you know, we're going to answer questions as a group. First, we're going to say the alphabet backwards. This effectively clears out all of the stuff, uh, all of these 10 words from their brain. And some people still get all 10, um, but I specifically ask, you know, was beach one of the words that you remember? Um, after I have them, you know, after this distraction period and I have them write them write down the the words, um, I, I asked them if beach was one of the words they write down if, invariably. And this is what the fun part is. Invariably, I get at least a quarter of my students. I just recently did this in my uh, Psych 101 class just a couple of weeks ago. And I got almost 50 percent of people raising their hands that beach was on the list. And dear listener, Beach is not on the list, right? So how do these people remember Beach being on the list? Well, they're not really remembering that Beach was on the list. They're remembering that the organizational elaborative process of those 10 Beach-related words are on the list. And it just so happens that they could conjure up a related word, Beach. So these beach-related words, and of course, they come to the conclusion of beach. And so I just, I, I love this demonstration. Again, you could ask the question, is this an actual false memory? And, you know, it's not really, because it's not something that they experienced. And so I say, okay, so if that's not a false memory, then are the memories you you have of uh, a a flashbulb time in your life like a a big tragic event like 9/11 or um the Sandy Hook school shooting or even Parkland just for just a few years ago uh are those false memories like your recount of where you were who you were with what you were doing 
are those false memories. And, and I specifically focus on 9-11 because a lot of the research about flashbulb memories have come from 9-11. And the idea I ultimately settle on is whether, you know, people who have very vivid memories of 9-11 do... Do they really have those vivid memories or is it the the outcome of the narrative rehearsal hypothesis where details are are quote unquote memories because they've heard the details so often, either their parents saying it or from the news or whatever, this idea of these 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 details being constantly mentioned. So... I asked then, are those false memories? And the answer is, well, maybe, because I know they're called flashbulb memories because they're they're vivid and our confidence in them remains high. But there is this piece of this narrative rehearsal hypothesis that suggests that maybe some aspects of the memory are not real and we just attribute the source of those memories to our own experiences. When that is potentially not true. So that's why that's where we're going to go with here when we talk about um, the idea of false memory with um, Quaid's experience in Total Recall. We're going to talk about how um, the DRM method as a sort of backdrop to um, implantation of memories. Uh, and then um, this sort of um, refinding and recalibrating of uh, of a person's memory uh, can have outside influences, and potentially, if you're not, you know, if you're not dastardly enough, really cause someone to to not believe you, um, especially if you're the bad guy. So, <laughs> so that's my wondering epi- episode, and and um, uh, if if you, that's something that you're interested in, please take a look at that when it comes. Of course, I'll be mentioning it uh, on future episodes when that is out. You know, just a little cross promotion here and there. Talk. I said talk. I'm not your wife. The hell you're not. I swear to God, I never saw you before six weeks ago. Her marriage is just a memory implant. You think I'm stupid? Ah! You remember our wedding? Was implanted by the agency. Falling in love. Implanted. Our friends, my job, eight years together. Suppose all of this was implanted too? The job's real. The agency set it up. Bullshit. (laughs) They erased your identity and implanted a new one. I was written in as your wife so that I could watch you and make sure the erasure took. Sorry, Quaid. Your whole life is just a dream. Okay, then. If I'm not me, who the hell am I? It's me. I just work here. (sighs) Doug. Doug, there's something I want you to know. You were the best assignment I ever had. Really. I'm honored. You sure you don't want to? For old time's sake. Come on. If you don't trust me, you can tie me up. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know you're so kinky. Maybe it's time you found out. Let's start with how memory is represented, or at least memory manipulation is represented in um in uh Total Recall here. So, like I said, Recall is a company that offers a person a uh, vacation in their mind, right? With all of the feelings, sensations, and stuff that would come with uh, the experience. First of all, let me tell you that this is completely farcical and will never, never happen. Never happen. In the most literal sense, will never happen. I will stake my reputation on that. There will never be a time when a an episodic memory will be implanted with the sensations and um, the experiences that we feel so strongly when we relive a memory. I don't think that'll ever happen. So it's kind of like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, but in the exact opposite direction, right? Instead of removing uh, 
removing memories. We're sort of putting new ones in on top of the ones that we kind of want to hide. Those memories aren't gone, though, because that's how Hauser is able to start piecing, or at least Quaid, I'm sorry, Quaid gets to start piecing his old life back together, although he makes a proclamation at the end of the episode that he is no longer Hauser, that he is Doug Quaid, and that's the identity he's going to continue with. After the, you know, after the events of the movie, that's what he specifically says. I'm going to do this. I am now this person, even though he's only ex- experienced that person for like six or eight weeks or something like that. Um, as far as the timeline of the movie goes, he, 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 of course, thinks he's been Douglas Quaid his entire life. So we have that aspect of implanting a memory with all of the experiences and emotions and everything that goes along with episodic memory. And of course, episodic memory is different from the things that we know, which is called semantic memory, which doesn't have any of that. It's it's stripped away. It's basically stripped away knowledge. Uh, uh, Endel Tolving used the words noetic and autonoetic Right. So noetic is knowing things and autonoetic is knowing things about oneself. So if we're going to if we're going to use that tolving distinction, then, of course, just knowing things is going to be different from knowing things about oneself, which includes the time, place and experiences of those episodic memories. And those experiences are complex. Right. So we have. um we have all of our senses, sight, uh, hearing, smelling, tasting, the kinesthesis, uh, touch sensations, even um, whether or not we were balanced be through our vestibular sense. Like we have all of these senses that contribute to a, a, a memory. And as Inside Out to- told us exceptionally well, is that emotions that are tied to a memory are complex there are more than one emotion that gets tied to a memory as you know joy and sadness find out that a memory can both be happy and sad um as far as riley's life goes and so we've got this this company who can do this all right within the logic of the movie that's fine they can they can do this i'm i'm more than happy to suspend my disbelief i just don't think that's i mean it's not true right in a, in a realistic sense so it's not true and you shouldn't think that it's true this is far and away science fiction okay much like the memory deletion of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is going to be and forever will be science fiction. Of course, they show that this this you know product doesn't actually work in that movie. And you can kind of see that maybe Recall is doing a little bit of fudging of the books or at least fudging of the the experience. Um I don't think they do uh, what they say they do as far as like what some of the characters are suggesting, especially the um, head guy in charge. So Quaid gets his memories changed. So he gets these new memories implanted that he is a guy in not Hauser, but he is a guy named Douglas Quaid. He has a wife who is played by Sharon Stone. He uh, works a construction job and he's just a sh- he's just a big schmo. Like he's Arnold Schwarzenegger who works a menial job. Okay. Well, if he's a jackhammer, then I guess maybe he's got big muscles. I don't know. But um he happens uh, he keeps having these dreams. And this is a fun little uh, gag that Paul Verhoeven did, which was that, you know, not well, maybe gag isn't the right word, but like a little, little, little trick to cue the, the, the watcher, the film viewer uh, into the gag, which is that he keeps having these dreams and dreams here are the manifestation of his prior memories. So knowing this woman named Melina on Mars, knowing who the um, freedom fighters are working for, these mut- oh, who these mutants are, what would happen if this ancient, I mean, he knows all of these things and they're expressed in this convoluted kind of way through his dreams, okay? 
But really, it's just six to eight weeks of a new identity that is that is being fought in his own mind with, you know, however old Hauser is. We'll just say he's in his late 30s. I, I don't know how old um, Arnold Schwarzenegger was in 1990. Somebody can go look that up. But, um, you know, let's say he was in, let's say he was 35, I mean, probably 40, but still. Um, three 35 plus years versus six to eight you can see where you might have a problem with your identity it's sort of like the mk ultra planning that the the cia really did trying to program people using uh hallucinogenic and psychoactive drugs the the idea here being that um, maybe we can train soldiers to you know turn on uh, their fighting mode, a la Jason Bourne, uh, in the Bourne novels and movies, when we need them to, and then just go about their daily lives when we don't need them, just, you know, kind of do that. And that similar kind of quote unquote programming, where instead of Quaid's experience through through dreams and sort of a sensation that something isn't quite right and that's why he decides to go to recall to get that mars experience because maybe it was just him dreaming about needing to go to mars and what better way to go to mars than not actually go to mars which is why this is the precipitating catalytic uh action of the movie that's him going to recall in general was you know to to sort of quiet his dream brain like okay that's what i need to do well in reality, it was his other memories saying, yo, 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 we need to get out of this cave, yo. And so rather than blunt force trauma, which is experienced by Jason Bourne in the first movie um, that dislodges his program and he's like, where am I? Who am I? Oh, I'm this guy named Jason Bourne. I have all these awesome talents. Like, what is going on? And Quaid sort of has an, uh, sort of an understanding, sort of a, an inkling as to why this sort of feeling of familiarity and that's a really important aspect of this movie regardless of the <laughs> regardless of the actual science of memory behind this there is this idea of recognition where things are um familiar to a person and you're just struggling with the no sort of like deja vu is this something that i've actually experienced before Okay. Now, recognition is what Quaid is is really grappling with here. Instead of the you know total recall, uh, recall here you being a double entendre for not only like remembering things but also like um, you know I'm being recalled back to the place that I once was, which is in this case Mars. So. You know, he gets he gets these these memories implanted in his brain, but it's not erasing. It's 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 doing an incomplete overwrite, maybe maybe using computer terms here, um, computer metaphor of memory um, using a, a an overwrite as opposed to uh, delete and replace. So an overwriting may not actually get rid of the existing memories and there you go there's the familiarity aspect and then of course he goes to recall he gets um what is considered a um what is called a schizoid embolism uh embolism excuse me what is it you better get down here i am with a very important client it looks like we got another schizoid embolism i'll be right back uh mr mclean Mr. McLean? Bob, what's wrong? Don't let her leave! Get off you! You broke my cover! What the fuck is going on here? You can't do a simple goddamn double implant? It's not my fault we got a memory cast. They'll be here any minute. They killed you all! What the hell is he talking about? Let me go! Mr. Quaid, try to calm down! My name is not Quaid. Uh, uh, no, I'm Timmy now. Hurry, hold his leg. I'm Timmy. Hold it down, Quaid. Let me go. Uh, 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 uh. 
you all right? Listen to me. He has been going on and on about Mars. He has really been there. Use your head, you dumb bitch. He's just acting out the secret agent portion of his ego trip. I'm afraid that's not possible. Why not? Because we haven't implanted it yet. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I've been trying to tell you. Someone has erased his memory. They say that uh, you know, we hit a memory cap. And, and that's... That's really funny to me, a memory cap. Like, somebody put a lid on his old memories, and as they were installing this um, Mars uh, vacation, but uh, him as a secret agent, then that hits too close to home because that's what he actually was. We find out later that Hauser, probably under his uh, under duress, was um, did this on purpose, did this on purpose. Uh, and so they they hit this memory cap later in the film. A, a an operative from the agency comes in and says that he's a doctor, and that everything that's occurring in the the movie at the moment and previously was him dreaming. I love you. Right. That's why he tried to kill me. No, I'd never do anything to hurt you. I want you to come back to me. Bullshit. What's bullshit, Mr. Quaid? That you're having a paranoid episode triggered by acute neurochemical trauma? Or that you're really an invincible secret agent from Mars who's the victim of an interplanetary conspiracy to make him think he's a lowly construction worker? Stop punishing yourself, Doc. You're a fine, upstanding man. You have a beautiful wife that loves you. Your whole life is ahead of you. But you've got to want to return to reality. Let's assume I do. Then what? Swallow this. What is it? It's a symbol of your desire to return to reality. Inside your dream, you'll fall asleep. All right, let's say you're telling the truth and this is all a dream. Then I could pull this trigger and it won't matter. Doug, don't. It won't make the slightest difference to me, Doug. But the consequences to you would be devastating. In your mind, I'll be dead. And with no one to guide you out, you'll be stuck in permanent psychosis. Doug, let Dr. Edgemore help you. The walls of reality will come crashing down. One minute, you'll be the savior of the rebel cause. And the next thing you know, you'll be Cohagen's bosom buddy. You'll even have fantasies about alien civilizations, as you requested. But in the end, back on Earth, you'll be lobotomized. So get a grip on yourself, Doug, and put down that gun. And that he needs to take a pill. <laughs> kind of, you know, I wonder where the, the, you know, the Wachowskis got this for the Matrix, right? Where he has to take this pill to wake back up at recall. Um, and so they could get the schizoid embolism. Um, under control sort of like a lucid dream is how they describe it in the movie um otherwise that he is going to be stuck in a, a permanent psychosis well there are a lot of things that don't line up for quaid and so he shoots the guy in the head and ultimately um does not believe sharon stone's character who was brought back in to play his wife and like try to try to get him to react and he ends up not of course why would he I love how they play this one because uh, some of the dialogue here is so fun, right? So Recall Inc. is by the memory of always wanted for the memory of a lifetime. That's their uh, motto or slogan. Um, but he's, he's told not to go there because he could get lobotomized or, um, you know, become sort of uh, a person in a, in a vegetative state, uh, his friend um, tells him, right? Uh, his friend Harry, who also works for the agency, of course. The company Recall calls these first-class memories as opposed to what, second-class, third-class, you know, uh, cattle car memories. I, I would love to to know the distinction of what kinds of memories. What's the sliding scale of memories? Like, are second-class memories just worse memories? Are they bad memories? Like, I, I don't know. This is quite the, quite the pitch, right? Um, and so, you know, in the moment, uh, 
Quaid asks, you know, how real are they? And of course, the guy at Recall says, as real as any memory in your head, your brain won't know the difference. And that line right there um, foreshadows the rest of the movie because Paul Verhoeven does a really good job. Now, I don't think it's as uh, Paul. Okay, let me complete my thought here. Paul Verhoeven does a really good job of sort of trying to keep the audience guessing. I don't think there is a, um, you know, inception level uh, confusion. Like, what's the real answer? Does the top um, that uh, that is spinning at the end, does it fall over? Like, is he stuck in a dream? Is this where he wants to be? You know, I don't think that level of of um movie guessing is required to watch the rest of this film i think it's a a tactic uh meant to confuse quaid by uh, you know a tactic by the agency but i think it's it's important to note here because it's not as real as any memory in your head because his real memories start to take over whatever was implanted in his head starts to take over so not only are you uh given that information as truth of course it's a marketing uh tactic um as the audience but once you get that told to you from this you know sleazy recall ink guy um you kind of have to call that into question obviously it's 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 not because why would we keep having these dreams that are trying to indicate to him that he had a previous life before he was Doug Quaid? It's an important distinction. I, at least I think so. It's an important distinction. Now, when we get to Mars, there's a lot of things that are going on. A lot of things that are going on. His memory has been so messed with that he doesn't remember Melina, and Melina, of course, remembers him as Hauser, and she doesn't know who this Quaid person is. She doesn't. She's like, I loved you, and he was like, I don't know who you are. And this shows a good example of retrograde amnesia, or at least retrograde-like amnesia, because it's not actually retrograde amnesia. Retrograde amnesia is caused by brain trauma, of course. Yeah, maybe you could say that recalling messing or the agency messing with his memories is sort of brain trauma. I mean, I guess it is in the um, within the consistency of the logic of the movie. But um, I don't know. I, I would call it retro like retrograde like uh, amnesia. And this is just, you know, not having any memory of past events, which I think is actually the most tragic aspect of this film <laughs> You're not supposed to feel much of anything for any of these characters. It's an action movie with weird, gory effects and goofy, uh, goofy stakes. I mean, there's there's no real emotion to be evoked from a movie like this. But you you do kind of see that, um, you know, in this exchange with Molina after he's got some time to, you know, time to calm down and regroup himself. I mean, once he gets to Mars, it's like bang, 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 one thing after another. The, the, the agency's only ever, like, you know, a couple of steps behind him. But in this moment of breathing where, you know, Melina and him can have this connection, eh, you kind of feel bad for the guy. Like, imagine if that was you. And you have this whole identity around something that has only been, existed for six to eight weeks, and you have known nothing except for a few video interactions of who you were previously. But the, the fun thing about this moment is, um, and especially for someone who is suffering from retrograde amnesia, is the power that cues have in our understanding of emotion. I mean... Cues are incredibly powerful when it comes to uh, getting us back to those previous situations. Just just think to yourself, the last time you were trying to remember something, or maybe not even trying to remember something, and you walk into a store, or you 
experience, some kind of, 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 of sensation that you felt before. I usually like um, using uh, music or uh, smells when I talk about this idea with students because those two, those two things, music and smells, have a real strong connection with memory in general. Um, I recently saw a, uh, a meme on Twitter where uh, somebody laments that they wish that they could remember the facts of my uh, of classes um as well as um my brain remembers uh song lyrics and i thought that was like 100% accurate because right music is so powerful to and and which is why most cultures have some form of music so powerful to our uh existence and our memories um this is why we have trigger or content warnings in a lot of cases, when talking about traumatic or violent or uh, powerful issues, because these cues are strong and they can bring all sorts of things back um, into our memories. And so I think for Hauser, or, sorry, Quaid, um, in this moment on Mars, having this conversation with Melina about him not remembering her, but, you know, um, sort of remembering aspects of her. She is the woman from his dreams at the beginning of the movie, so he has some inkling of who she is. She just He just doesn't know that he was in love with her and he was doing things to work toward a cause for a better life of these Mars residents. And I think that's just a really powerful thing. Of course, a really powerful thing as indicated by a psychologist who um, is fine with doing these kinds of things in movies where maybe that intent wasn't actually there on purpose. I don't know if Paul Verhoeven um, <laughs> had this idea in his mind. He's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we have the, he's Dutch, uh, have the, I'm not going to try to do a Dutch accent. Um, it'll because probably just sound like gold member. Uh, well, you know, we have this idea here where he's going to have this retrograde like amnesia, and but you know, the cues are really, really powerful. No, that's this is me, you know, doing the analysis, of course. Um, and, and I note that like he spends a moment like smelling Melina, which of course is kind of gross from most aspects. Like, we don't want pe random people smelling us and be like, mmm. That smell reminds me of something, and we're like, "Oh, it reminds you of what? Oh, God, right?" And we don't want we don't want to hear that from strangers. But you know, for someone like Melina, it's a cue for him to start remembering her, especially when she starts kissing him. I mean, like, come on, those sensations—the sensation of the lips. Yeah, you're not going to forget that. You're definitely not going to forget that. At least in my opinion, you're not going to forget that. Right. Um, I, I'd be happy to hear some 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 counterexamples of people not having a physical sensation as a cue for a memory, because I got to tell you, it's there. It's there, especially when there is lots of other things that happen after kissing as far as the cue goes. But, you know, just smell in general works much the same way that I talked about that talked about music. Okay, so the last thing that I want to leave you with here in this episode is um, just just some sort of rhetorical, philosophical questions. I know that I have nobody to respond to these questions directly, but I thought I'd leave them with the with you the same way I leave them with my students. Right? So these are these are not questions that we are going to answer right now. These are not questions that we have the answers to right now. Maybe we will have the answers to them. Maybe we'll never will, which I think is fun. Um, same way that you heard me and Jim talking about if you if you listen to um, uh, last episode on AI artificial intelligence, like, you know, we don't know a lot about consciousness. We don't we, we know what some aspects of it are, but we don't really know what it is. We know what it's not and we know what some aspects are, but we don't we don't know what it is. So I leave you with with these questions. Um, and take take them take them or leave them. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Definitely catch me uh, on our socials 
if you have uh, good responses to these or at least, you know, your attempt at um, coming up with an explanation. I love lay theories. Lay theories are fun. Um, they give me an indication of how non-psychologists feel um, and think about the work that psychologists do. It's, it's great. I love it. Um, so catch me on the socials. Uh, Sin SciPod on both Facebook and Twitter. Sin SciPod. Sin, obviously not S-I-N, but C-I-N, the first syllable of cinema, of course. Sin SciPod. So the first syllables of each of the title, uh, for each of the words of our title. Cinema Psych Podcast. Sin SciPod on both Facebook and Twitter. Or you can catch me directly at Prof A Swan at uh, uh on Twitter. So that's at Prof A Swan. Um, I really should change that to Cogsack Prof, but uh, I I'm getting ahead of myself here. Anyways, these questions. Okay, so my first question for you, dear listener, is: Can a person really have a false memory or memories? implanted into their minds, either via a, a process that is cursorily described in this movie, Total Recall, as described in Inception through, a, you know, <laughs> layered dreaming, um, or even kind of like uh, how Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind deals with like taking those memories away. Can can somebody really implant a false memory into you or is it just an issue with your uh, memory system not being the most accurate thing in the world? Don't get me wrong, memory human memory is a a mate it's awe-inspiring. I I I use awesome too much, but it, it honestly, I mean, and so awesome has lost its meaning uh, as far as like something being, you know, full of awe. And of course, <laughs> awful means something else uh, entirely. But it being, it, it's, it's really awe-inspiring how really good our memory is um, for all of its foibles, for all of its mistakes, for all of its biases. It is perhaps... Um, one of the most important things to human evolution. Uh, and again, I will, uh, that's a hill I will die on. I mean, there are a lot of, there are a lot of things that are important to our evolution. Of course, they all are, our entire history is predicated on the fact that we have evolved all of these cooperating um, and cooperating uh, systems. But I do think memory is up there. I think it is one of the most important things that we evolved in conjunction with our uh, big brain. We are big brains on Brett's over here, right? So can it, it is, is a false memory possible or is it just a function or I should say not a function but a, a byproduct of a biased cognitive system. The second question that I have for you has to do with the sort of overriding that I talked about that goes on in Quaid's head, right? So they didn't get fully get rid of who Hauser was because of course he starts to remember who Hauser is or at least what Hauser did. And I'm talking about Quaid here, of course, right? I said that he adopts that name and that self as his self moving forward. He doesn't go back to Hauser. He doesn't know who Hauser is. So can a person's real memories be erased or suppressed in such a way that false memories take over? So this movie would have you believe that, yes, that's effective for a while, six to eight weeks, of course. I mean, we only see the end of this experience. And that's only because he goes to recall. It's only because Quaid goes to recall. So if he never went to recall, I guess the question becomes, does, does the eventually do the false memories take over? I want to hazard a no. Um, so that's my, that's my uh, tentative answer is no. 
so, but if they do, will they express themselves as dreams? Like, this is something that we don't really know much about dreams yet, right? We're still, again, a lot of things we don't know about human cognition, and and dreams are one of it, right? Because we go to sleep, and sleep is an altered state of consciousness where different things happen in our body than when we are awake. We have different brain waves, for example, and then there are different brain waves for different stages of sleep, too. So it's just like, oh my God, what is going on in that brain of yours, my friend? So since we don't know that much about dreams, is this the case where, hmm, would false memories then manifest as these the these mundane things that we experience on a daily basis? I mean, that's the vast majority of dreams that people have. And of course, many people don't even remember their dreams that were, of course, of the mundane variety. And every once in a while, we have some fantasy kinds of dreams. But I mean, there there is an interesting um, similarity amongst all human dreams, which is that people don't usually die in their dreams. So if you're experiencing some distress that could lead to your death in a dream, is that representing something that's realer? I'm getting I'm getting into super sci-fi vibes here, but you know, these are st- of course rhetorical questions. Um and one of the tricks that the agency and this is my last question. One of the tricks that the agency polls in this movie is trying to convince um this this whole like uh schizoid embolism i mean i would imagine schizoid the word was chosen uh, uh purposefully to represent what we sort of at least in the 1990s what we as as psychologists, I'm sort of lumping myself in there, but what what previous psychologists sort of thought of as schizophrenia in you know 1990 or in in the in the late 80s, very different to how schizophrenia is viewed now um, as a uh, psychotic disorder. But you know, 20, 30 years ago, the idea was different, and a lot of focus was on paranoia and delusions and of course these are potential hallmarks symptoms positive symptoms of schizophrenia you can have delusions these are just false beliefs uh, beliefs in things that um, are demonstrably false like that you can bring evidence in fact of factual evidence to bear Um, and then paranoia this idea that you're being watched and people are looking at you and waiting for you and all of that uh, and all of that stuff. So the agency tries to convince Quaid that he is delusional and paranoid. Um, can you actually convince someone with false memories that them trying to break out of those false memories is delusional or paranoid? Oh, I think that's a that's a spicy question. I think that's a spicy question. What do you think? Because, I mean, knowing what I know about false memories, I tend to go on the side of, you know, if this was actually real, if you could implant false memories in somebody, of course, you'd have to suspend your disbelief even just for that. As I said earlier in the episode, this is a no way, no how, most likely. So, but if, 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 let's say if we can do this recall thing, what then happens, right? There's ethical considerations. There, there are human interaction and interpersonal considerations. There's, of course, a, you know, a, a capitalistic consideration. Why does a company, why would a company get to pr- have a proprietary hold or grasp on memory technology? Shouldn't everyone be able to access this without cost or or whatever is the experience of these kinds of memories offered by recall uh, above and beyond a normal experience you know the, the these kinds of philosophical questions do also then get backed up with ethical concerns as well as practical and economical concerns i am so glad I remembered 
this movie. Because I don't think if I would have thought of it uh, earlier this week to do it for this um, this solo episode, which um, would not have been a solo episode, but I had to do a little rescheduling. So, um, you know, I'm so glad this, this movie exists and I got to get to talk about memory more because that's one of the most fascinating things about watching movies is how do they play with memory? And that's where I'm going to leave it with you, dear listener. Um, thank you for listening to this solo episode, me talking about the randomness of a 1999, a 1990 action movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. A lot of fun quotes come out of this movie. If you are from the generation of the early internet soundboards like me, you probably did some prank calling with this uh, with with the Arnie soundboard um, and calling people sons of bitch. You son of a bitch. Uh, don't bullshit me. You know, these these, uh, these phrases. I mean, I, th- you're probably going to hear more. You, you've probably heard more as I interspersed some uh, clips of the movie. But, man, oh, man, this movie is fun. I love this movie so, 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 so much. So that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much. Until the next one. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.